And so if your cutoff time is 4 p.m. and their cutoff time is 4.15 and the stock moves at 4.07, you're not going to be able to exercise your option. And if they have the exact same option, they might be able to still. And so that's your main risk. The last point in time that you want to be running around with your hair on fire, trying to figure out when your exercise cutoff time is, is two minutes before that bell rings for you. Because trust me, I've been in that situation and it doesn't yield good results. <laughs> You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started. Welcome to Traders Insight Radio Podcasts. You'll find us at tradersinsight.news. Today's guest is Matt Cashman, who's a principal for investor education at the Option Clearing Corporation. Welcome, Matt. How are you? I'm doing really well today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about options. You're very welcome. Uh, Matt is a regular guest each month on our webinar channel where he helps teach investors all about options. Uh, what they are and how to use them. So uh, a huge welcome. Thanks for joining me and thanks for being such a great partner with Interactive Brokers. It's, it's been a, you know, a massively volatile and extremely rough first half to the year so yeah. far for, for equities as an asset class. But Matt, yeah. explain to us if you can, what are the major differences between trading stocks, indexes and commodities from the perspective of the options market? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Andrew. Um, I generally tend to group stocks and indexes together in their own kind of little bubble, and then commodities on the other side in their own bubble. And then obviously currencies are a little bit different, but from an options perspective, stocks or equities and equity indexes are generally, and the, the big difference between them is really in the concept of skew as far as the options and how the options are priced. And the reason why here is because when you look at price history for equities and indexes, generally their price history shows that they crash to the downside and they stair-step or have more placid moves to the upside. And so over time, what that does from a distribution perspective mathematically is it makes one side of the distribution more expensive than the other side of the distribution. Well, in stocks and, and indexes, you can imagine the downside is going to be more expensive because that's where the more violent moves happen. And so puts end up being a little bit more expensive than calls. On the convert, the, con the other side of that coin is that in commodities, commodities generally tend to crash up and they have what's called demand skew. And so their, their big violent moves usually happen to the upside and not the downside. And so on the commodity side of things, you'll get the opposite of the equity skew. You'll get call skew, where the calls are actually more expensive than the puts. And so when I think about those kind of asset classes, and I had to actually kind of do that myself when I went from trading equities to commodities, I had to flip that skew in my mind and all of a sudden make the calls kind of theoretically more expensive mentally. And so that's the big difference from my perspective as to when you talk about options and those asset classes specifically. So while, while we're on that, on that topic then. Do you, want, do you want to drill down in a little bit more into option volatility skew? What, what, why does it exist and how does it work? Yeah, that's skew is one of those concepts that people 
who are professional traders know intimately very well, but from, from someone who's a more intermediate or a beginning trader, they don't really understand the concept of skew necessarily because a lot of times they're trying to just kind of wrap their heads around how the options work in generally, right? And skew is one of those kind of second derivative concepts where you need to understand the basics in order to understand skew. But skew is, like I said, just the difference between one side of the distribution being more expensive than the other side of the distribution. Or for instance, if you had an uh, like a 20% out of the money put and a 20% out of the money call, in the equity market, theoretically, generally, the put's going to be more expensive by X percent, you know, and that the reason why is the what I just noted in my previous explanation, which is the price history kind of dictates that, right? right. The price history has shown that those puts are, if you take it and you amortize it over a bazillion years, those puts are going to be more expensive and and a better a better investment than the calls are because they're going to pay out more right. most of the time. And then on the opposite side, you'll get situations, even in equities and indexes, where calls can become more expensive. Don't, don't put yourself into a situation where you mentally have built this model where calls are always less expensive than puts. I've been in several situations where things get out of whack and the call skew gets so high that the calls are actually more expensive than the puts. It's a very disorienting situation if you're trading equity options because it's not usually how it's priced, but that's how it works. And skew is really, aside from the basis of skew being based in price history and the mathematical kind of like evolution of that, really skew is just a function of supply and demand right. and how much people are willing to pay for both sides of that distribution, whether calls are more expensive or puts are more expensive. Very good. Okay. Well, we're going to get into the various Greeks later, and I'll let you define volatility concepts later uh, uh, as well. But first, let's talk about something that rarely gets discussed when talking options. Talk to me about the exercise and assignment process. First of all, can you explain that for listeners? And then explain what the role of the OCC is in that process. Talk about some of the risks that end users and investors or traders should make themselves aware of regarding that part of the options lifecycle. Yeah, absolutely. This is something, and I'm really glad you asked this question, Andrew, because I, and you may you may know this from a first person perspective, but in every single one of my webinars, almost inevitably, I mention exercise and assignment. And the reason why is because from my perspective, it's one of those parts of the options world that is really, really important as far as P&L is concerned, but it's not very sexy and people don't talk about it very often. They like to talk about how much they're gonna make and leverage and all of those things. They never really think about or talk about exercise and assignment, but it right. plays a huge part in how these things work. Now, let's talk about it from just the bare bones of how it actually works from like the, the, the financial rails that are behind the system, right? So OCC is the largest clearinghouse of equity and index options in the United States. And so if you're trading index or equity options in the US, the OCC is touching that option somewhere along the, the line, either in the exercise and assignment process, which we'll talk about now, settlement, clearing, all of those things behind the scene, the OCC is somewhat involved with. Now, when you are long an option, you maintain the right to exercise that option. And in the case of an American style option, 
you maintain that right to exercise that option at any point during its life cycle. American options and European options are different. Those are two different kinds of options. American style options are generally equity options in the US. You can exercise those anytime during its life cycle. Mm -hmm. European options, slightly different, but the main difference is European style options, which are usually index options uh, in the US, European style options can only be exercised on their expiry date. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest difference there. Now, when you decide to exercise an option, if you're long an option and you decide to exercise it, this is how it works. You press the button on your screen that says exercise, basically. That exercise notice goes to your brokerage or your trading firm. Then it goes from there to the clearing member firm. The clearing member firm is the firm that has the direct relationship with OCC. It goes from that clearing member firm to the OCC where it gets aggregated and then OCC has a randomized and a proprietary process by which we match up the buyers and the sellers or the exercisers and the assignees in this case. Yep. So the person who exercises comes in and then we match it up through a randomized process. It gets assigned to someone who's short that option. It goes out the door through the same rails that it came in with goes back out through the clearing member firm to the brokerage firm. And then the brokerage firm has their own general assignment way that they figure out which one of their clients is getting assigned, yeah. is getting that assignment. But it comes in as an exercise notice, it gets matched, and then it goes out the door as an assignment. Here's the risk that you maintain from the end user's perspective. And this is what you need to always understand. Each one of these brokerage houses actually manages their operational risk by having a cutoff time that is standardized across their clients as to when they can exercise their options. Those clients can exercise up until that point in time, but that time can be different from brokerage house to brokerage house and from trading firm to trading firm. You need to understand when you are able to actually exercise your option because of your relationship with your specific mm -hmm. brokerage firm because the person sitting next door to you might have a different relationship and thus can exercise their option at a different time. Right. And so if your cutoff time is 4 p.m. and their cutoff time is 4.15 and the stock moves at 4.07, you're not going to be able to exercise your option. And if they have the exact same option, they might be able to right. still. And so that's your main risk. The last point in time that you wanna be running around with your hair on fire trying to figure out when your exercise cutoff time is, is two minutes before that bell rings for you. Because trust me, I've been in that situation and it doesn't yield good results. <laughs> All right, Let, let's dive into the Greeks. In your opinion, Matt, what, what are the most important option Greeks that people trading options should have on their radar? That's a really good question. Option Greeks are one of those things that um, you can dive into in lots of different ways and learn kind of an infinite amount about over time and how they interact with each other. I'll try to keep it as simple as possible for the purposes of this. The first order Greeks, there's five of them, Delta, Gamma, Theta, Vega, and Rho. Now, Rho, we can kind of take off the, the board because it deals with interest rates and generally speaking, interest rates don't move that much with short-term options to make it, you know, that that's not going to be the headline thing that I'm going to address. Yep. I'll say 
from my perspective, if you're dealing with an option that's say less than 90 days in duration, if it's a three month or less option, I think the number one thing you probably need to look at is gamma mm -hmm. and gamma and how it affects your delta of that option because those short-term options are more sensitive to movement and that's what gamma measures. And then if it's a longer duration than 90 days, if it's a three month and out option, mm -hmm. farther out, I'm gonna say I think Vega is really what you should have on your radar as the number one thing because those options start to transition into what we call Vega rich options or like really vol rich options. And what that means is that they are very sensitive to movements and implied volatility and less sensitive to movement in the underlying, like those 90 day or, mm -hmm. or soon options are. And so an option that's, that's the duration is less than 90 days. I'm going to say gamma is probably the most, the most uh, important that you need to look at. Post 90 days, I would say Vega should be on your radar at the top of the list. Very good. Okay. Here's a question that did pop up in a recent webinar that I wanted to run back by you. Can you explain the differences between credit spreads and debit spreads? And what are the risks and characteristics of each one? Yeah, absolutely. Credit spreads and debit spreads are pretty simple, relatively speaking. Credit spreads, if you are selling options or selling bigger options than you're buying in your spread, for instance, if you're selling a $7 option and buying a $5 option, you have created essentially a credit spread. What mm -hmm. that means is that you're getting paid a certain amount of premium for the position that you've just put on. Generally speaking, credit spreads incur the liability of being short an option that is closer to at the money than the option you're long. And that's the reason, honestly, why you're getting paid in the first place, yep. right? Those options that are closer to at the money have a higher likelihood of becoming in the money options, thus they're higher delta, they're higher gamma, all of those things. And that's the reason they're priced more. Now, from a risk perspective, the way you need to think about it is that you're short the option that has a significantly higher percentage chance of becoming in the money. And so you need to build that into the way that you manage that position. Now, conversely, debit spreads are the opposite of that. Debit spreads are you're buying an option that is usually bigger than the option you're selling. And what that usually means is that you're buying the option that's closer to at the money or has a higher likelihood of actually becoming in the money and thus an exercisable option like we just talked about before. And so for that right, you are actually maintaining that exercise right through the life of that option, but you have to pay for it. And so that's where the debit comes from. You end up paying for that right, much like the other person who sells it to you actually gets credited that amount of premium, but they incur the obligation to deliver or take delivery of the stock when you decide to ine inevitably exercise or it or it expires worthless. So that's the big difference between those two things and the big difference in risk. Okay, here's another one that someone new to options really needs to know. Can you explain the difference between implied volatility and historical volatility? Yes. That's one of my favorite topics to talk about, Andrew. You know this. I've, I've done a couple of <laughs> webinars just on this topic itself. Implied volatility. The, the, the short answer is really simple. Implied volatility has to do with option valuation, and it's a major component of how we price options, and it's a big part of how much options are worth. 
it controls a large part of how much of the value, the extrinsic value of an option is worth because it's one of the biggest components of that extrinsic value. Now, implied volatility is the market's best forecast of what this underlying is going to kind of deliver over time. How volatile is the underlying going to be during the duration of this option? Historical volatility is just that. It is history. It has already happened. It is what you can quantify. You can put it into a spreadsheet. You can do all kinds of things with that data set, but really all it is is a measure through prices that have previously happened. It's a very black and white thing. This is something we can all agree upon. It's already happened. It's set in stone. You can measure it. And it is really just a measure of how much the stock or the underlying has moved over a previous historical period of time. That's the big difference. Okay. But how does implied volatility work? What, what are some of the factors that move it around and, and where does that come from? Implied volatility, like I said, is one of those inputs into an options valuation that move. It's a really dynamic feature of how options are priced and it moves all the time. Theoretically speaking, it's really a function, again, of just supply and demand, just like what I talked about as far as SKU earlier in the in the uh, podcast. SKU is supply and demand. It's a function of how much people are willing to pay for options or sell them at a certain price. And implied volatility is much the same way. Any time that you buy or sell an option and it prints a certain price, that price itself, when you take into account the rest of the metrics around it, so the strike price, the underlying price, the days to expiration, all of those things that build into the options price, it creates an actual implied volatility level. Every price has its own implied volatility level. And so one option can trade many different implied volatility levels during the day, during one day, during one minute it can. And so the price of the option and way it's printing is what is actually determining what that implied volatility level is. And it's really a function of supply and demand. When you're a market maker, when you're a professional market maker, one of the only things that you can really move around in your model in order to affect change in how much an option is worth, if I wanna take all the options in one month and move them up by X percent, the biggest dial I can turn is implied mm -hmm. volatility. Yep. I just crank it one direction and then all of a sudden all the options in that month are worth a lot more or a lot less. And so then you start moving skew and other things around also, but the big like the big bat that you swing as a market maker when you're modeling options is implied volatility and that's how they move. Very good. Now, just to ram home the importance of some of these concepts, Matt, if you had to choose just one thing to remind investors who trade options to pay attention to, what would it be? Wow. Uh, one thing, I'm going to make this a, a timely answer because the market is moving around as much as it is right now, and particularly in markets when they're when they're relatively volatile. I think people need to pay attention very closely to open ended risk. And what that means is when mm -hmm. you are sometimes you have long options and short options mm -hmm. in a portfolio, you're long this option, you're short this option. But if you're not closed off as far as having a unit neutral position, meaning I'm long one, but I'm short two, and then I need to be long one option also somewhere else in order to be unit neutral, you need to pay attention to where your open-ended risk is 
And open-ended risk means like you're not long options past a certain point. You end up with, you know, you just have unlimited risk to one side or the other. Some people love to trade that way and they're really adept and very good at managing that risk. In an options market such as this, where things are moving around a lot, that should be on your headline as far as risk is concerned. Take a look at where your open-ended risk is. Make sure you're managing your risk when it gets to unlimited levels like that, when you're just short options in one place, and make sure that's something you want to have on. If that's what you want to have on, then by all means, you should have it on, but you need to understand how that risk works when it's open-ended. Matt, you you began your career on the CPOE uh, in the open outcry exchange floor when it existed, and then you you traded over in in, in London on the Eurex as well. So you've you've, yeah. you've touched both sides of the Atlantic. You, you you must have some great stories from those days. So tell us your favorite trading story. My favorite trading story. Well, I have a lot of stories, like I told you before. Um, many of them are not fit for public consumption because of where they come from. Uh, trading floors are generally not the most uh, politically correct environments, but I will give you one that is uh, fit for public consumption. So when I moved to London and I started trading in London, it was after the life floor had closed and all of the trading was moving upstairs into uh, an upstairs environment. And so what we had was giant banks of a trolley machines, which were giant phone banks. And then we would take calls for option trades and we would spread most of our risk on the screen and through other trades. Yep. But what that meant is that I had to figure out how to talk to people who were English all the time <laughs> immediately, like overnight. And so I picked up a lot of obviously English slang. Because it's a different that. language altogether, right? It is really, and you know this, Andrew. Um, <laughs> But, and you might get a kick out of this, honestly. The first week, the first two weeks I was there, all of the English brokers on the phone referred to me as Seppo. And I didn't understand why. And I didn't know why, but they kept calling me Seppo. For those of you who are not initiated to Cockney rhyming slang, that is a way that in some ways people refer to certain things without saying the actual word. They'll use a word that rhymes with it in order to reference that word. So for instance, we used to go get beers after work at the pub, but instead of calling them beers, we would call them Britneys. Well, why do you call them Britneys? Because Britney Spears, Spears rhymes with beers. So instead of you'd say, let's go get some beers, you'd say, does anybody want to get some Britneys, right? And we'll and go so, up the apples and pears. We'll walk up yeah, the stairs. Yeah, there you go, apples and pears. Pears rhymes with stairs, right? So after two weeks, I kind of started wondering why everyone was calling me Seppo. Well, one of the junior traders who was English on the desk found out that I was trying to figure it out. And he said, Cashman, don't you understand why they call you Seppo? And I said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. He said, septic tank, tank <laughs> rhymes with yank. They're calling you a Yankee. And I was like, oh no, this whole time, it's been two weeks. And I've been responding on the phone to Seppo like a, like I, it was like it was my name. And so I finally figured it out. 
and we all had a good laugh at it. But they were all, all the English guys were like, we were wondering how long, <laughs> wondering how long it's going to take you, mate, to figure we, this out. We was running a book on how long it was going to take you, <laughs> weren't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, so I, I didn't. I, I heard exactly the same thing um, from 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 a broker. We were at a famous London restaurant, and um, they were talking about septics. And I said, well, "What's what's he talking about? Septic yep. tank, yank? You know, yep. mate. You know, mate. The sepos. So yeah, <laughs> my other favorite one is uh, when I would call. I would always call for one broker that I wanted to talk to, and his buddy would answer the phone and say, "No, mate, Mac is not here. He's on the dog." And I'd be like, "On the dog." <laughs> Dog and bone. Bone rhymes with phone. He's on the phone. <laughs> He's on the dog, mate. I have to call you back. I was like, all right. But that took forever for me to figure out as well. He's on the dog. What is he talking about? So that was always fun. Brilliant. That was England. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. Well, th th thank you very much, Matt. And don't, don't forget, folks, to check out the IBKR campus online for all of your trading education needs. You'll find plenty of course material at tradersacademy.online including an advanced options program from the OIC. You can find more options education from today's guest, Matt Cashman, at optionseducation.org and any of his prior recordings at ibkrwebinars.com. Just look under the contributor section and click on OCC. And finally, you can reach Matt directly by email using options at theocc.com. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Matt. Thank you very much, Andrew. It was a blast. All right. I'll see you next month. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Any discussion or mention of an ETF is not to be construed as recommendation, promotion, or solicitation. All investors should review and consider associated investment risks, charges, and expenses of the investment company or fund prior to investing. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice. Interactive Brokers LLC does not have any interest, affiliation, or relationship to the interviewee, their employer, or related organization. The views and opinions expressed herein are those of the author and do not necessarily reflect the views of Interactive Brokers LLC, its affiliates, or its employees. Interactive Brokers is not affiliated with and does not endorse or recommend any third-party investment information, advice, services, or products discussed in this episode. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and as necessary, seek professional advice.